Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in the book of Acts again, chapter 15. We will go through verses 22 through 41, but we will only stand and read verses 36 through 41. And if you are ready, please stand for the reading of God's word. And if you're not, please act like you're ready. Beginning at verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Please be seated. Thick and thin, that's what the topic is for this morning's consideration. Ministry goes on with or without what I want. Ministry can go on without me, can go on without you. That's not the ideal, that's not the goal. And here Paul and Barnabas, uh, as we just read about their split, ministry goes on. It had to be heartbreaking to both of them, but I get ahead of myself. Look now at verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Okay, so we go backwards now. Remember in the last chapter, uh, they settled the dispute that started when these uh, wrong-doctrined Christians came up to the church at Antioch, that's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, in what was then Syria, and they arrived there and they said, well, if you're going to be saved, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, you have to become Jewish, and if you don't become Jewish, you can't be saved. And and Paul went ballistic on that, and it ends up at this council in Jerusalem, and it was settled there, uh, Peter being one of the heroes of that council, and James also supporting Peter and Paul and Barnabas. And so now where we are is they're going back to their home church in Antioch, and they have this, this letter that they're taking with them. This is about 16 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Jerusalem church is sending with Paul and Barnabas two witnesses so they can attest, yeah, this is what the council said. Paul's not making it up. Barnabas is not lying to you. It was a wise move on the part of the church, understanding that they had people who wanted to follow Christ but were also susceptible to lying, to dishonesty, or to just outright you know, being difficult, difficult people. It is interesting how... How they are just difficult people in life. You can have ten people in a workplace and one of them is going to be difficult. 
Um, I'll get with me later. I'll tell you how to deal with that. It, it involves pain, but we'll get to that later. No, we won't. I don't want to be the difficult one. Uh, and I ask myself, as I say, have I been the difficult one in the workplace? Well, this is the workplace for me now. Maybe someone's come to church and says, yeah, you've been the difficult one with how you preach. Well, anyway, uh, the council was satisfied, but the rank and file, there were still those Jewish Christians and perhaps some proselytes that wouldn't like what they came up with, what the, the command decision. Well, if you're going to be in command, you're going to make decisions that are not popular. Parents, you, you should learn that early on. You must go with what you know is right. Well, they send these two men, Judas, one of them. Uh, Judas was a common name amongst the Jews in, at that time. Um, of course, Judas Iscariot ruined all that, the one who betrayed the Christ. The name means praise. And, uh, well, we don't know anything else about him. Silas, on the other hand, that's his Semitic name, his Jewish name. Silvanus is his name when it is Latinized, and incidentally, one of the gods of the many gods of the Romans was also named Silvanus. Paul and Peter will refer to him as Silvanus, whereas Luke refers to him as Silas. And uh, it's interesting, the two Jewish apostles refer to Silas in his Gentile name, and Luke the Gentile refers to Silas in his Hebrew name, Seems to have wires crossed there. It's, none of it's that critical. It's just interesting. Anyway, God saw the split coming between Paul and Barnabas. And he is already marshalling resources into place to take care of that. In verse 23, they wrote this letter by them. Verse 23, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Again, wise to put it in writing. Now, Antioch, that's the home church that they're going back to. Syria is the surrounding region, and at that time, it was, Antioch was in Syria. Today, it is in Turkey. Cilicia, this, that's an interesting mention. Uh, Paul ministered in Cilicia, Tarsus, Cilicia of Tarsus, when he f was first chased out of Jerusalem, the, 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 the disciples said, we have to get you out of here. People are going to kill you for the way you preach. And um, beyond Cilicia, moving eastward, you end up in Galatia. And they're going to take that route. And that will come back into the story because um, it, it, it some interesting little things about it. Verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Well, those are the misguided Christians. Verse 1 tells us that they came out and said, you cannot be saved unless you're circumcised, just like that. And where he says in verse 4, this letter, to whom we gave no commandment, the apostles and the leaders and the elders of the church saying, we never gave orders. We, this is not the doctrine that we taught. Although there were those that believed it, and that was what the big council had to settle, and they went back and forth with this until it was finalized. Even though they attended the same church in Jerusalem, 
they, uh, the apostles did not know, at least it says here, and we, I believe it, that uh, they didn't know these guys went up telling people these things. So the leaders are now disassociating themselves with such teachings. Uh, Christianity must not endorse what is false, ever. You cannot, as a Christian, hear someone lie about Christ or lie about Christianity or the Bible or be wrong about it and, and, and endorse that. It happens a lot. Love must address that which is wrong. Our love for the Lord addresses those things which are wrong about him. And if we don't have the chance to verbalize it, of course, we have that, uh, the necessity to mark it down in our thinking. If we do get a chance to say something, we're going, we're going to. Verse 25, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Colossal endorsement. Our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Uh, still there would be those amongst the Jews who would never recognize Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it, it had to irritate him. It was so unnecessary. They were essentially saying, you're a liar. Christ never appointed you to be an apostle to send you out. And this coming from fellow believers... Um, it's just sad, but he, can, he didn't let it stop him. And there were many who rallied behind him. The final uh, endorsement on the ministry of Paul is the Holy Spirit by what has been preserved about him. As much as Barnabas is just such this dynamo in the faith also, we don't have the letters of Barnabas to the church here, to the church there. We have many of them, or enough of them, at least eight, uh, from Paul. And uh, that is important because, as Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. And we get to see the fruits, the uh, subsequent history of the decisions this man made and how they have impacted us to this day. So we'll come back to that, too, at the end. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... So it's official again that these two men, Barnabas and Paul, were full-blown servants and they were appreciated as such by those who led Christianity, by those hand-picked men of Jesus Christ. And if they could recognize them as men willing to suffer for Christ, who was anybody to challenge that? Well, why would they say this? Because there are those challenging that. That's why. Not so much on Barnabas, but Paul. He is really the villain in the eyes of many because he was insightful enough to, to know that the law of Moses would not work in a Gentile world. And uh, the others caught up, but it, it, some of them were very sluggish about it. Well, some did not ever get it, but many did. Verse 27, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things, by word of mouth, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Well, where he says here in verse, well, verse 27, those are the witnesses again. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. This is not the seemed of doubt or of uncertainty, rather of 
vision from perfect knowledge. The Holy Spirit saw it. it to him, it seemed good because he's perfect. And it's quite a, a, a just an important saying because what is a church that makes decisions apart from God? Would you still call it a church? I'm not, I'm not offering the answer. I'm just trying to draw attention to <clears throat> how critical a role the Holy Spirit played not only in the first church, but in all churches that serve the Lord. Moses uh, said about the presence of God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send me. I don't want to go without you. And the Christian, whether it is a church or an individual, we don't want to serve if the Holy Spirit's not blessing this, if he's not involved. How much is done in God's name contrary to the Spirit of God? Well, I think, you know, there are some that, I don't know how they would explain this away, but they live as though it is uh, unimportant. Some, on the other hand, suppose that sensible decisions stifle the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just crazy. Um, the Holy Spirit is not the cause of insanity, but the cure. And there's nothing wrong with being organized. And Paul says, let things be done in an orderly manner. Well, the, whole, the Old Testament is loaded with this instruction. I mean, if you were a Levitical priest and you were making offerings, you couldn't just, you know, offer it the way you felt you should. You had to follow the, the word of God as given to Moses. So uh, it, it is not s quenching the spirit to think things through. If you think them through in the spirit. Uh, he continues here in verse 28, And to us, to lay upon you no greater burden, then these necessary things. And that end to us is we agree with God. Uh, he doesn't agree with us. We agree with him. He's the leader. We're the followers. And I like that this sentence tells us that God is not looking to make life harder. Because, you know, life will obscure God if you let it. Life is cursed. This age is under the curse and we are to function within it. There is enough left of us in the image of God to serve God still, else we wouldn't be here. And here, but not without, of course, uh, the Lord's hands upon our lives. So God is not looking to make life harder. Not to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Well, some things are necessary and they are burdensome. To the flesh. They're never burdensome to the spirit because the spirit's in union and in rhythm with God. But it's my flesh that doesn't want to do it. I'm tired. I have other interests. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm just not confident enough, or whatever it may be. And so when John later writes, his burdensome, um, his commandments are not burdensome, uh, that is the ideal. And we pursue the ideal. You, you can't take up your cross and follow Christ without pursuit of the ideal. The reality, that's where, the, that's where it gets ugly. And we are supposed to face ugly things in Christ. And Paul said, this is your reasonable service. The apostles taught this. He died for us. It is our reasonable service to be inconvenienced or to be slaughtered for our king. After all, 
The world can be heroes for their causes and for their kings. How much more the church. Verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do well. See ya. Well, he says farewell, but uh, it's, a, it's a, an affectionate uh, see you later kind of thing. Uh, this, we talk, covered this last session, so I'm not going to stay on or itemize the, the, the idols, the blood, the, the things strangled. That's last session. But there is this clash between cultures, and it calls for sensitivity. If, if you are a foreigner, I don't mean as an American, you know, or just anywhere, any people. You go to outside of, away from your people into another culture. It's hard. I mean, they'll have problems with your culture and vice versa. Uh, England, I, I love the weather in, in London, in Scotland, but that whole thing you can't conceal carry irritates me. So, you know, there's that clash. And on their side, there's like, what are you? What are you insecure? What are you going to shoot people? What's your problem? I point this out because Paul was able to navigate cultures. He could go to places that were radically uh, different from Israel's culture, from the culture of the Jews. And yet he functioned there without belittling the people, thinking, well, because they do this, they're therefore that. Uh, He saw beyond these things, all missionaries, true missionaries. I don't mean going on a mission trip, and I'm not belittling that. But there's a big difference between going on a mission trip and then living there and uh, mingling with the people and preaching the gospel in a way that they can uh, can receive the gospel as anybody else. Foreign things can be a delight or they can be a dread. And we uh, we should not be judgmental. But we should be certainly aware of what the Lord wants from us in a foreign environment. We're not to treat foreigners like they're, you know, like they're foreigners in the sense of, uh, of uh, distancing ourselves because they're foreigners, xenophobia. Uh, we are to welcome all people. Uh, but that doesn't mean we have to embrace the culture. You may not, you may not care for the food or the music or the, or the garb. And vice versa, but that's fine. We still have to love the heart and the life. Well, interesting enough, in this list that they itemized to the Gentiles, which is not about salvation, which is about fellowship with the Jews, the two cultures, the Gentile world and the Jewish world coming together, there's no mention of keeping the Sabbath. Here would have been an excellent place to put it if Christians were under the Jewish Sabbath. And to omit it would have been a crime if we were under the Sabbath. But we're not. Hebrews 8.13, a new covenant. He is made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Well, certain elements that were not upheld in the New Testament church. Romans 14.5. This, this, I love this verse. When I saw this verse when I was a new Christian, I was, I was going to make a holiday out of it. Because I don't like holidays. I didn't do it. I'll read the verse. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Amen. I mean, and you know the, 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 the Grinch that stole Christmas. I liked the Grinch more. 
always. But but others, you know, if other family members and loved ones, you know, they're they're festive. They like these these breaks in time, and, and that's okay. You're both okay. That's what the Bible says. Don't make this a bone of contention. Uh, and it is, make other things. <laughs> Incidentally, talking about things worth fighting for, I have noticed a lot of cars on the road don't have gas pedals. I don't know how they move, but <laughs> except to say they move slowly. Well, anyway, coming back to this, God introduced a day of rest at creation. On the seventh day, he rested. So the day, that concept existed before the giving of the law to the Jewish people. And it is still a guideline for us to come apart from our routine and rest. That is still upheld. But Jesus said this about the Father in this day of rest after the fall of man into sin. Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Sin makes demands on us, and there really is no rest in, in this life, not, not a long-term one. Sabbath is made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. And so we have to balance these things. See, there, there's that endorsement, God saying to man that the concept of rest comes from me. And if you just go, 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 you're going to fall apart. Jesus said to his disciples, come aside and rest for a while. Well, the multitudes didn't let that last. But anyway, uh, the Sabbath, we're not under it. And how yet we are to apply and respect the concept of rest. Uh, I'm trying to, for me, I would like six days of rest, one day of work. (laughs) Kindred spirits think alike. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well, farewell. He's saying this is going to be good for you. It's going to be good for everyone. It's not going to be good. It's not, it's, it, it won't go well for us if we continue having these cultural clashes. And so these guidelines would make it easier for Christian and Gentile Jews because what the Holy Spirit is doing is removing the distinction from the hearts of men, that there is a such thing as a Christian Jew and a Gentile Jew. He's going to get them to the place where there are just Christians. And, and that's how it should be. No longer Jew, nor Gentile, slave, nor free, Scythian, or barbarian. All in Christ. Now the roles remain the same of genders, but there is not a greater value placed on women or men. They are equal in God's eyes. And so... Um, what a wonderful balance. I think it's a pretty good job, Lord. <laughs> I wonder if I ever make God laugh. I was thinking about this last night. I had a giddy moment. And I figured, I wonder if, well, with all the horror that goes on in life, I think, I don't know. I don't have the answer. But it would be nice if we could, we can bring God joy. But I mean a hearty laugh. Verse 30, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And they were happy to do this. They were armed with these two witnesses, Jude and Silas. They had the letter from the apostles. What would have happened if Paul had not stood up 
to these misguided Christians that showed up in Antioch to spoil the party. I see you got a pretty good church here, but we're here now. We're going to put in and all this joy going around. And boy, what a dark cloud was cast over that church when those visitors came. Uh, but what would have happened if Paul had not stood up to those who are rendering grace meaningless? Well, we know it would have happened. We've covered it. Christianity would not, it would have been absorbed as a Jewish sect and eventually passed away. Verse 31, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Well, they're happy about the liberty. The men are certainly happy. They don't have to go through this ritual. Uh, the wisdom and the unity of the church was very appealing to everybody. Uh, Romans fourteen seventeen. But the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Three letters of Paul really are directed to the Jews. It includes the Gentiles, but they're really aimed at the Jews and they're, they're to get them to understand the freedom in Christ. Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Are, uh, that's where the emphasis lie. Verse 32, Now Judas, Silas, uh, Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Interesting that uh, as prophets, they exhorted and they weren't running around making predictions. That's not what it means here for a prophet. Uh, Judas, the abbreviated, the abbreviated name would be, uh, uh, Judah is the name, Jude is the abbreviation. Once you uh, give it its Greek equivalent, it's Jude. So Jude, the uh, writer of the letter of Jude, was named Judah. And uh, when he started interacting with the Gentiles, it probably became more Jude than anything else. Silas is not a co-apostle. He will not be, but he will be an assistant of Paul. And uh, he, too, is a Roman citizen, which really lends to him going with Paul. And when, when they're in Philippi and they're beaten, Paul says in the plural, you've beaten us, Roman citizens. And uh, that, that was a big deal. Paul was learning, Paul was learning to use the law in favor of the gospel. Um, uh, we'll come to that in chapter 16. He says, themselves being prophets also, Luke writes. Well, in those days, the preachers who taught Jesus was Messiah from the Old Testament, they were prophets, the teachers that were teaching Christ is our Savior. Uh, they, they were prophets and teachers. And uh, not, not every, you know, those Agabus did tell the future, and we'll come to him later also in future chapters. But prophets, again, are not always foretelling, but they are always forthtelling. They're always speaking the word of God. And here, that in doing so, they are encouraging the believers. They were exhorting them, it says here, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. <laughs> not that they were verbose or... Anything like that, just, you know, boy, you won't stop. Encouragement counters discouragement. I think that's helpful to, I think it's very helpful to understand the definition of words and the etymology, the origin of words is a bonus. But to understand when I am encouraging someone, I am contributing to counteracting 
discouragement. Because we know discouragement is everywhere. You, you don't have to look for it. Let me go find some discouragement. <laughs> you don't have to look. It's on your garment. I mean, you do. Anyway, verse 31, 33. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So they stayed for an undetermined amount of time, at least undisclosed. Judas is going back 325 miles, thereabout, to Jerusalem. But Silas catches the vision. That's what appeals, is appealing about this. He saw what God was doing in this foreign culture. And he knew this was right and it was good and he wanted to be a part of it. And, and as I mentioned, he will become uh, a faithful assistant to Paul. And because, because of his recognizing God using Paul and Paul's faithfulness, Silas will catch some beatings with Paul. And he, was, he remained a servant. As I mentioned, into the, Peter's letters were written much later, and he, there's still Silas, as Silvanus, still in it, through thick and thin. And the good times and the bad times, and the times that you have and the times you don't have. The times when your heart is merry and the times when it is broken. It's still serving. And this is what's going to come out of this. If this chapter was all we had... We wouldn't really be able to appreciate it. But we've got so much that's coming. Chronologically, the church at Philippi does not exist. The church at Corinth does not exist. The Thessalonian church does not exist. The Roman church is not where they're going to be after Paul gets through with them. Uh, There's so much more. The Colossian church, this is coming. They're not there yet. And so this is a big deal. When Silas catches the vision, he gets to see these churches started. He gets to find out what their problems are later. He sees Paul write letters, make trips to and fro. He sees Paul's heart broken over these people that really don't like Paul. And it is just incredible, these lessons. to How do you learn to function so effectively in the midst of constant conflict. Well, you have to look at the scriptures and see. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. This word of the Lord is expanded beyond the Old Testament Yahweh into Christ now. Christ is the Old Testament Yahweh. And, and here, uh, it, it, I mean, it belongs to the Godhead. The word of the Lord. Well, what would you say to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon who deny the deity of Christ? Is this human word or is this divine? What's well, divine? Christ is divine. Two men had, these two men, Paul and Barnabas, had taken a lot of territory for Christ. We spoke about their, the mileage covered in chapter 14. Paul now, Christian, for about 14 years. We don't have the exacts. You've got to kind of calculate, trying to figure it out, put the puzzle together. He says, Luke does, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. This is an emphatic thought throughout the book of Acts. What did the first Christians do? What did their first church, where, where was the emphasis? 
It was on the Word of God. Solid pastoring and Bible teaching was not wasted at the church in Antioch. Because a lot of churches do waste solid Bible teaching. You know, some people come to a church, they don't even know they got a good Bible study. This became the case at Ephesus. Ephesus enjoyed Paul, John, Apollos. I mean, it was a church that God invested in. And what does the Lord end up saying to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2? You left your first love. How could you do that? You had those profound Bible teaching. And out of that, I'm not that important anymore. All these other things are. Look at the programs we have. Look what we're doing for this and that. But I say to you, you've left your first love. Correct it. Or else I'll take your lampstand. Man, I get shivers thinking about it. Um, He says here, with many others also. So there were many teachers up there. There was an abundance of teachers in one place, and it needed to be thinned out. Now, there's a gap between 30, a time gap between verse 35 and 36. So we now go to 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of of the Lord and see how they are doing. Paul, Paul could not sit still. And you just, I mean, he was, thank you, God, for the, you know, the, 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 the cloth that this man was cut from. Uh, had he not been this way, again, we wouldn't have all these letters and doctrine that we have. Paul knew Galatia had problems. I, my understanding is the Galatian letter had already been written. And he feared that they would be rendered substandard in the faith. That Galatia would be a region of substandard Christians. Or nominal Christians. We have a... a, This is through... How many parts of the world will people tell you they insist that they are Christians and they live like devils? And and, and the the churches that that run the place... I mean, just go to South America, go to, you know, Western Europe, go anywhere. And you'll, you'll encounter substandard Christianity. What makes it substandard? It's not according to God. Not according to his word. And Paul was concerned about this. What should he have been? Flippant? Satan immediately will counteract this idea of pastoral care. Here you have a pastor that says, look, I wrote the letter. I know the Judaizers have been up that way. We know Satan is at work. Paganism is rampant. We got to go see these people again, see how they're doing, and, and encourage them. When Satan heard that, he began formulating a battle plan. Now remember, Satan failed in Antioch. He tried to kill the church, and he failed. He was repelled. He can be beaten back if you can find men and women that will stand with Christ through thick and thin. If Satan did not start the trouble coming between Barnabas and Paul, he certainly poured gasoline on those flames because the argument these men had was intense. Uh, paroxysm is the Greek, we get our English word from the Greek. Uh, they, were, they were yelling at each other. Their voices were pretty high. We'll, we'll come to that. Verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. <laughs> Started out like this. Paul says, let's go visit these churches. Barnabas said, great, I'll get Mark. Paul said, no, I don't think so. 
Consistent with the nature of Barnabas was this desire to include and to encourage. And he looked to give Mark another chance to serve. Paul disagreed. Barnabas chose grace for Mark. We uh, cannot charge Barnabas with wrong. That same quality that is being exercised on behalf of Mark is what caused him to go get Paul and bring him to the apostles when nobody wanted to touch Paul. That same quality, when, when Barnabas goes up to Antioch and sees the spirit moving there amongst the Gentiles and Jews, he says, i got to go get Paul. And he travels to Tarsus and Cilicia and brings Paul back. So you know, this is who he is. Paul, on the other hand, makes a command decision. And to be in command is to make unpopular decisions. And now here's Barnabas standing up. But Paul, also in grace, also in grace, saw that Mark was ill-prepared for next-level ministry. He knew this would be a hindrance. Uh, he, he dropped out when they you know, entered into the, that uh, modern, modern Turkey. And Paul says he's not ready. Later, Paul will change this because Mark will change it. So, continuing, verse 38. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And Paul says he's not ready and he can't come with it. He's going to be more of a problem. He'll be, you know, that proverbial spare tire on a bobsled. Just slowing everything down, and unnecessarily so. Now, understand, because Paul was fierce for Christ, it does not, therefore, mean he was harsh or unforgiving or intolerant of failure. Because he is firm, we have no right to say he was short-sighted, uh, you know, he was too stoic. Nonsense. He's led by the Spirit. This was the right decision. Uh, you can read when Mark drops out in Acts 13, verse 13, continuing now in Acts 15, verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Now, it's not a demerit on the life or a, a blemish on the ministry of Barnabas because we don't hear any more about that ministry in Cyprus. But it certainly is a star on Paul because we hear a whole lot about what's coming when once he and Silas, it starts out, they hit the ground running. You know, Timothy gets brought in. Uh, you know, they, they just start preaching the word everywhere. He catches a few beatings in the jail, cast out some demons. I think, man, it's a blur. If you took a picture of Paul, it would be blurry. He was in constant motion. So on the heels of a great victory from Jerusalem, they suffer this split. Barnabas was the one, as I mentioned, who brought Paul to the apostles and brought him to Antioch. Barnabas stuck with Paul through thick and thin up until this point. But they're going to get back together. Barnabas was the one to whom the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Paul. He wasn't, it was not two Barnabas, but he was the one addressed along with Paul. Incidentally, the Holy Spirit did not say separate to me Barnabas and Paul and John Mark. So, you know, we see these little, you know, hiccups 
and thank you, Lord, that these men weren't perfect. Yet, they continued to serve with a ferocity that we all admire. They had to have, have said, you know, what next? We just, you know, struggled with, against Peter coming up and, and, and that whole drama that unfolded up in, in the church in Antioch. We had to go down to Jerusalem to get this straight. And now we want to go out and do the good thing. I've said to the Lord, Lord, I have asked you, I have made good prayers to you. I mean, that's not boasting or it's not arrogant. It's true. If I pray for a lost soul, you're going to tell me that's not a good prayer? And, you know, you struggle with this. And the answer is always, this is war. This is the fight under the curse. It's, it's not, it's, this isn't, this fairy tale land. That comes later when we get to heaven. And it won't be a fairy tale. It'll be a reality. So, great. First a contention with Peter and the Judaizers, and now with each other. No one saw this coming. Barnabas and Paul were men of, both of them, deep conviction. And if, you're gonna, if you have a conviction, at some point there's going to be a conflict with someone who has an equal conviction, opposite of yours. I, I, neither one was wrong if led by the Spirit. However... If they were just being stubborn, which I don't think they were, uh, then that would be a problem. You have to say that because there are people, the Christians, that are just stubborn. They know they're wrong, but they're not going to let you get the satisfaction of winning an argument. Uh, they'll stick by a wrong thing rather than say, I admit, that was not right. It is. Uh, listen, if you do something wrong and you know it, the faster you can make it clear, the better. But if you sit on it, I'm not going to tell them. I'm sorry. Uh, cutting off your nose will spite your face, as the saying goes. Kind of a grotesque uh, thing, but it's, it's, it's a good one. Well, Paul, without hesitation, and Barnabas, you could say too, they were willing to sacrifice their dear friendships because of conviction, because they truly believed this. And they were not going to allow friendship to stand in the way of ministry. This is an important lesson. Again, so long as it's in the spirit. Of course, they got in the flesh a little bit when they're yelling at each other, screaming, you say, that's not love. (laughs) Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 on love, he knew about how difficult it is to love uh, when the flesh is working against you. Whatever delight. Hell got out of this split was very short-lived. Now there'd be two ministries for hell to have to deal with. Satan would have to dispatch troops to deal with Barnabas and Mark on Cyprus, and he'd have to dispatch troops to, to, to deal with Paul and Silas and be defeated all the way. Uh, scratching his head, why don't these boys stop preaching? Don't, how many beatings do I have to give them? Uh, you can't stop. You can't beat Christ out of out of such believers. Uh, Paul will later write of Barnabas after the church at Corinth, years later, is started and established when Paul writes his first letter and he's defending his apostleship he's, because there are those troublemakers in that church. He will say, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? The implication is Barnabas and and, and Paul are still 
tent making for Paul, whatever Barnabas is doing, and, and being attacked for it, and likely they're working together. Concerning Mark, Paul will write to the Colossians, first to the pastor there, Aristarchus, oh, I'm sorry, he will write to the church at Corinth, uh, Colossae, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Man, you just, you know, the, the ministry continued going forward. Their relationship was restored and it was used. It wasn't just a handshake, okay, we're past that bygones. It was, all right, fine, that was that, this is now, let's go on together and continue to serve. And Mark, become, he gives us the gospel according to Mark. That God used all these things to shape these people. May we be more gracious and kind with other people. Verse 40, But Paul chose Silas and departed, and being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Uh, no mention of the uh, commending Barnabas and Mark. I don't think because the church was against them. I think Barnabas probably left in such a quick, oh, fine, I'm out of here. And they didn't get a chance to, to put the blessings on him. They woke up the next morning and said, where's Barnabas and Mark? They're already gone. Uh, verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Again, ministry goes on, and it expands. What was Paul going to say when he gets to these churches in Galatia that he and Barnabas started? When they said, where's Barnabas? I think he would have said, he's off to Cyprus with Mark preaching the gospel. That's what he would have said. Uh, just, uh, man, Lord, if we can just be more like the ideal. Strengthening the churches. You know, churches like people, like bridges, they will weaken without reinforcement over time. You cannot build a bridge and say, well, never have to check it again. You'll have to put a lot of work into keeping a bridge a bridge. The elements alone will wear it down. And it's the same with people. Uh, Cilicia was known, well, Cilicia is in Tarsus. And along that coast, historically, there are a lot of pirates. Piracy was a big problem. A lot of people moved inland to get away from the pirates. Well, Paul, when he makes this trip now into Galatia, he's coming through Cilicia. They're inland on the Roman roads. It's a safer route. And those churches there, we don't read about churches starting there. The only evidence we have of churches being in Cilicia is that Paul was there before Barnabas brought him to Antioch. So that is just, uh, just wonderful. Uh, he, he, Paul does not return to Cyprus. This is important. He does not return to Cyprus with Silas because Mark and Barnabas were there. And that would have been a stroke of the devil to have competing ministries. And uh, th this is something that some people have no problem with. They think that it's okay to come and, you know, steal people from your church to their programs or whatever. It's, it's the devil at work. For 2,000 years, I'm almost done. For 2,000 years, churches have been strengthened because of this trip of Paul and Silas. It says here that they went out to strengthen the churches. And now we have the Philippian letter, the Thessalonian letter, the Corinthian letter. 
directly because of this trip. So we're going to get to this trip in chapter 16 where these churches are, are, are being born. So I close with this verse and one comment. Paul will write to the Philippians, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to suffer hunger, both to abound and suffer need. He is saying, I serve Jesus Christ through thick and thin. Let's pray. Our Father, may these lessons not go to waste in our lives. We fear having those instructions from your word and encouragement from your spirit. We fear that they would rot on the vine. We want to see an end or the fruit of our labor. And we are totally dependent upon you for these things. We are so grateful that you invite us in. We're so grateful that you offer us a chance to suffer in ministry because it is worth it. Because if others did not suffer in ministry before us, who would there be to lead us to Christ? May we have confidence that the things we do for you are meaningful, and not only to you, but to others. If you've been listening or watching, you've been hearing about what these Christians were going through to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinners, to people who were doomed in their sin. But you've never opened your heart to receive Christ yourself, meaning you're doomed in your sin. Then when you die, and you will die one day, you won't be ready for the judgment to come, and it will be too late And that's why we use the phrase lost. But then on the other hand, you have an opportunity right now to be saved from the judgment of God on your sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. If you open your heart to Christ and you make this prayer, this is an example of a prayer, but it's said in earnest, God will receive you. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments and your laws, and I ask you to forgive me. There's nowhere else to go for this forgiveness. There's no one else who died for me in my place as a sinner. There's no one else mighty enough to rise again from the dead to demonstrate that the work is complete. I come to you, and I ask that you would receive me as your child from this day forward. And be not only the one that saves my soul but is the Lord over my life. And I give my life to you right here, right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they never never be ashamed to admit that they have come to you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.